life is long, the process is long, do your job, do it well, and eventually you will get to where you're going. Hello everyone, welcome back to Everything But The Ball. My name is Jenna Case. I'm Callie Birchfield. And I'm Katie McNulty. And today we're here with Madeline Burke, the host and reporter for the New York Giants and also Sports Illustrated. Madeline, thank you so much for coming on the show. Of course, it's a pleasure to join you ladies. So for those who, you know, don't know you, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and, you know, career-wise? Yeah, of course. Well, currently, um, if you're in the New York area, you can watch me on MSG for Giants Post Game Live. And then we also have a pregame show called Giants First and Ten, hosted by Bob Papa that I'm featured on. Um, during a non-COVID season, I'd be on the sideline for Giants games on WFAN and Giants Digital. Um, so a lot of Giants, pretty much any Giants content, I can find my way around in there as well. Um, and then also I work with Sports Illustrated covering the NBA and a variety of breaking news as well. Sounds like you've got a lot going on and I'm sure that that leads to a lot of really interesting conversations with maybe some interesting people. But what's the first question that you, you know, tend to get when you tell people what your job is? Uh, it depends on who I tell. If I if I tell a man, he always says, "Well, do you know?" Sport? Like, uh, usually, will quiz me or send some send some sort of like a pop quiz. All right. Well, what did Jason Tatum drop last night in the game? And I'm just like, okay, like I don't need I don't ask you what the molecule of such and such is made up of. <laughs> you're a doctor, what have you? But um, it's that, or a lot of times, two people will ask me, uh, is it hard being a woman in this business? Because it's a very male-dominated business. And to which point, I, I say, not really. You know, there are a lot of women in this industry now. It was not the same way 20, 30 years ago. Um, and there are so many women who came before me and kind of paved a path and made it a lot easier for me to do what I do, made it a lot uh, more normalized for me to go into a locker room and ask the same questions that a man would ask and have those conversations without it being looked at as anything else but me doing my job. And you know what? Women can love sports just as much as men can. And I think that that's something, uh, you know, there are some women who get into this for various reasons, but if you love the game and if you love talking about it and if you've got the talent and the time, and the skill set, it, it really shows through. Yeah, definitely. And I think to your point, um, with the emergence of more and more females on the field, in the locker room, uh, in the broadcast booth, in whatever sense, is so important. And it's definitely, um, you know, increasing and growing, which is awesome. Did you always want to work in sports? Um, and maybe like, when did you decide that that was the path that you were going to head down? You know, I always joke, uh, I'm an only child and I always joke my dad wanted a son. Um, <laughs> he, you know, growing up, uh, I remember we, you know, he'd lay on the couch and I'd run around and he'd throw me the football or we'd go play football on the field, like out in front of our house, uh, in the yard out in front of the house or um, watching the NBA finals with my dad growing up in LA. I, I actually grew up a Lakers fan, even though I worked for the Clippers for five years. Um, and, you know, I think I grew up wanting or being around it. And that was part of the way that I bonded with my dad. Um, when I was in high school, I was really into writing and I got into journalism. I was in the high school newspaper and I was on the news and feature side more so. And when I went to college at Arizona State, you know, they've got a great journalism program, the Walter Cronkite School. And I thought, you know what, I want to focus on journalism. But really quickly when I was there, I realized that news wasn't something that I could sustain my soul with. You know, I mean, there was so much 
murder or kidnapping or fires and it just weighed heavy on my heart and and sports is something that you know win or lose there's always a really nice story and there's so much variety in it um and my sophomore year of college actually monday night football came to arizona and they sent out an email to the journalism school saying hey we're looking for people to help out with the broadcast. I'm sure you've seen on a Monday night football game, the guys running down the sideline with the camera. And then shortly behind him is somebody over undering the cable so that they, nobody trips. I applied for that role, the over under. <laughs> <laughs> yes, let me get this. And so myself and probably about 10,000 other people applied. And shortly after I received an email that said, thank you for your application, but we have chosen who we're going to use. Good luck. I was like, oh, so I responded and I said, thank you so much for considering the journalism school as a place to look for these people. I hope if you guys come to town again, you'll keep me in mind. I'd love to work with you and, and all that. The next day I got a call, his name was Joel Edwards. And he said, you know what? I have never been thanked for rejecting someone before. <laughs> and honestly, he said, you were on my short list. It was just a numbers game. And it, you know, I didn't end up picking you, but I have a better option. And so he hired me to be the office PA for Monday night football for that weekend. So essentially I went in for, you know, the days leading up to the game and helped the talent do the broadcast from, uh, from the stadium. And I helped, um, you know, get supplies and make sure the talent knew where they needed to go. And it was actually a much better role, a much more immersive role, showed me a different side of the broadcast. And it was just another way that sparks like this is what I want to do and that on top of the fact that it was that Bears Cardinals game that Denny Green was like the Bears are who we thought they were that famous line the the, the they won with no offensive touchdowns and it was just like an insane Devin Hester had that ridiculous 108 yard return so it was a very memorable game it was a very memorable experience and ever since that I was like yep done sold like just gonna focus on sports to the point actually where uh, a lot of my journalism teachers later in school would be like, can you can you do a story that's not a sports story? Maybe you want to try a news angle. So I would do like a community story with Larry Fitzgerald or whatever. I'd be like, what? <laughs> <laughs> what? Yeah, I think you just go for it and you commit to it. And so many people told me like, oh, you can't go straight into a big market, straight into sports and whatever. And they were wrong because my very first job out of college was hosting a national college football show for Fox called Running with the Pack. And granted, that is an anomaly. That is a, a pure convulsion, like pure combination of luck and chance and just being in the right place at the right time. But it's also, it's possible. So if you set your sight to something, you set your mind to something and you say, you know, this is what I want to do. And it's not going to look the way that it's looked for everybody else, or it's not going to be the same path that everyone else has taken, but this is who I authentically am. And I'm going to follow that and pursue that. If you just keep with your authentic self, it'll continue to unfold. And, you know, you never know where the wind's going to blow you. Yeah, I think that's great advice. And, um, you know, we we're talking a little bit um, before you got on and also just in your answer about, you know, all of the different ways in which you can, um, you know, find yourself in sports and in the industry. And for a lot of people that looks very different. Um, but for all of us, there's people that, you know, spark that feeling of wanting to get in sports and people that we look up to for us, it's people like you, um, for, you know, people on the field, I'm sure it's Serena Williams or, or, you know, Gina Kingsbury or somebody, but for you, was there, you know, somebody that kind of you look up to uh, or a female reporter maybe that you saw on TV. I'm sure there weren't a ton of those 
when you were, you know, 15 as there are now? You know, it's interesting because I didn't necessarily look at somebody and say, oh, that's a female reporter that I want to be like, because I don't want to be considered somebody who's good as a female reporter. I just want to be good at my job. And I always really admired people who were good at their job. And I think the first person that comes to mind there is Craig Sager. Um, because Craig Sager, if you ever watched him on a broadcast, he would do the sideline role. And people think, oh, sideline is just like a glorified accessory to a broadcast. But it's a very hard job. You have to kind of find a lot of information. You got to have your eyes and ears always open. And there was never a moment when the broadcast went to Craig Sager and he said something that was like, okay, duh. Like there was always value added with what he said. And another thing about him too is, you know, when he would do an interview, people would say his name. And I, I noticed that. Um, and I, in a conversation with somebody early on in my career, they said, you know, that's just such a sign of respect. And now I notice when I'm interviewing a player, and he says, well, Maddie, or well, Madeline, or whatever, and, and says my name, it just is a sign of like, hey, I'm respecting that I'm having this conversation with you, not just going through the motions of that. And I think that that's something valuable. And, you know, another person, too, I really admire is Susie Kalber. She has always been just kind of a rock and a very um, strong woman in the industry. She knows her stuff. She's dealt with, you know, even on, on air, that, that Susie, I want to kiss you moment, she handled with grace and class and has just continued to shine in the NFL space as a woman who nobody questions if she knows what she's talking about. And then more recently to Doris Burke. Doris Burke, I wish I was related to her. I'm not, but she's a legend. She is the GOAT. And the fact that she can do sidelines, she can do play-by-play, -play, she can do color. She knows the game so well, but also is not afraid to lend her personality. Uh, I really respect that because at the end of the day, we're not all just here to talk about X's and O's and stats and what have you. I think the broadcasters that I like the most are the people that I'm like, you know what, I'm interested in what you have to say, but also if I had free time and a chance to spend it with you, I'd want to. Yeah, so going back to your role when you talked about you were able to get a job as a PA um, in college, do you have any other things that you did like maybe on campus with the school directly that helped you get into that role aside from thanking them for giving you a rejection? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know, I think that's one of the things too in college, you just gotta take advantage of literally every opportunity. And if you know what you wanna do, don't just narrow it down to only that role. You gotta kind of do anything that's in and around it as well. And I worked um, on Arizona State's campus. They had PBS, Channel 8. Uh, K-A-E-T, I still remember, and I worked in production and it started with running the camera and, you know, trucking and panning and all that kind of stuff. And then that elevated to working the Chiron and the teleprompter and dabbling in the uh, technical direction and stuff like that. And so it's also to, it was all these technical behind the scenes skills, but I still to this day will get a lot more respect from people who are working in those roles because I understand what it takes. And it's, you know, I understand what it takes. When I ask somebody, hey, can I do this interview on a stick mic instead of a lavalier? I understand what it takes to change over all of that equipment. And if there is enough time, and if there's not, I wouldn't even ask it, you know? So I think understanding not just the role that you wanna serve, but also the roles of all the people around you, because there are so many people and so many roles that it takes to put on a successful broadcast in any sort, um, that I think that is extremely helpful. And so, yeah, I, I worked with PBS a bit. I 
did some work with the uh, school uh, news station, Cronkite News Watch, and you know would do packages and occasionally hosting on uh, the local stuff there. And, um, and just kind of took any internship opportunity that I could find that I could get, get in the door. And, you know, also another thing that was also helpful as well is I found ways to, um, you know, set up meetings for coffee or, um, you know, I, I worked with the Phoenix Suns for two seasons and I was a, a intern there in their uh, game night operations room. And so we'd run stats out to the, the broadcast team and stuff like that. And it was just being around it and seeing the different areas in which, you know, people are working. And so now if I see somebody running out, I know what they're doing. I know why they're doing it. I know what their role is and it's just helpful. And so there's, you know, if there's a, a pro team, a college team, if you can get involved with your school's uh, sporting uh, team or the AD's office, or a local news station, a local radio station. I did the, I did college radio too. The Blaze was our ASU radio station. I did that. I'm just, you know, I feel it's weird thinking back because I graduated like 12, 11, 12 years ago now. So I'm like, what did I, gosh, I feel like, woo. But yeah, I mean, but college was really one of those times where you just want to take every opportunity to see how can I just dabble in all of it. And you never know too, you might think, you know what, I really want to be an on-air reporter. I want to host a show, but then you might find, you know what, I really love radio. Or you might think, I really love radio and I want to host a radio show, but you might think, you know what, I actually really love television. You know, you might just, very, or I really love writing. So try it all while you can, because you never know what's really going to spark something that you didn't know was inside you. Yeah, definitely. That's great advice. You mentioned you graduated uh, 12 years ago. So in there, your 12 years of being in this industry, like how have you seen it evolve, whether that's technology wise or representation? Yeah, you know, it's very interesting. Gosh, it sounds like I haven't really put it that way in a while, but 12 years. But um, so when I first got out of college, I hosted that show Running with the Pack for Fox and it was a kind of a freelance role. I did it for a season. It was amazing. It was a great opportunity. We traveled, we went up and down the pack, pack 10 at the time. Now it's a pack 12. So that's one way in which it's evolved. Um, but another thing too. So in that time, sorry, there's like a huge siren going by my window. So, you know what, New York, yeah. welcome to this. <laughs> this is live broadcasting. Yeah. Doesn't get better than this. <laughs> you gotta adapt on the fly. This is a lesson right there. Um, but so when I was doing that, I also, I love basketball. Basketball is my favorite sport. And so when we were traveling, I would kind of set up meetings. We would go to Washington to do Wazoo or University of, w, or University of Washington. And I was like, you know what? Let me see if I can find a way to meet with people in this area. Or when we were in Oregon, I met with the, the trailblazers. When we were in the Bay Area, I met with the warriors. Just, you know, not for any other reason than just to say, I want to introduce myself. I want to, you know, get coffee with you. Um, I want to be on your radar. And I met with like the VP of communications and various teams, mostly looking for career advice. And that's one thing that you'd be surprised how many people are open to giving advice. You know, I think all of us at some point in our lives, whatever level in this industry you're at, have received help, have received, you know, an assist from somebody that you could never repay. And so it's like, everybody wants to be able to pay it forward. And I think if you say, you know what, hey, can I buy you a cup of coffee? There are so many people who would say, you know what, let's do it, let's sit down. Let me give you some career advice. Let me hear about what you've got going on. I'd love to. 
Um, so I did that for quite a while. And when I met with the Warriors, uh, Raymond Ritter, I actually spoke with him and I said, you know what? I feel like I could add something and I could do like a, like I could shoot, I can edit, I could produce, I could kind of create some sort of a digital environment. He, he kind of hemmed and hawed and contemplated. He said, you know what? I don't know if we're ready for this because you, you know who would love it is Joe Safety with the Clippers. And I was from, I'm from LA. I was living in LA at the time. So when I went home to LA, I reached out to Joe who Raymond put me in touch with and he loved the idea. He loved what I had. He loved my content idea. And I said, listen, I can give you a finished product. We can put it on the website. And this was back in 2009, 2010, when not every team had this. You know, maybe the Lakers had Mike Trudell and maybe a couple other teams had some sort of semblance of something like it. But now you look across every single team, whether college, big leagues, pro, or what have you, has a digital reporter or a digital reporting team, a digital writer. And I, I created that for the Clippers. And that was a blast because it was so, I mean, friends of mine who also were on the beat would joke about me walking in with a big bag of a tripod and a camera and my <laughs> like, just like completely a bull in a China shop because I'm extremely clumsy. And I was just, not, you know, there was no subtle way of entering a room with all those bags. But you know what, and I'd set it up and I'd flip the viewfinder and I'd do the interviews on my own and all that kind of stuff. I did that for four and a half years and I turned it into, you know, I turned it from like, hey, let's try this for a month and see how it goes as a freelancer to a full-time job traveling with the team uh, during the entire regular season, going to China with the team for the NBA China games, being embedded with a team that went from a 27-win season to a perennial playoff contender and had some of the most you know, volatile drama in the NBA in recent years as well with the Donald Sterling stuff. Uh, and so that was interesting. And then, you know, one other thing that I'll point out too from early on in my career, I remember I was doing a lot of digital stuff. I did digital stuff with the Clippers. I did digital stuff with Fox. And I spoke to an agent very early on in my career who kind of like looked at digital as the redheaded stepchild. And was like, you know what? You're not, you're not talented unless you're on TV. But the thing that I tried to explain then, and I think people are, are finally coming around to now is it doesn't matter where the content lives. It's, it's the same thing. Like right now, this conversation we're having, if this conversation was broadcast on TV, it would still be the same conversation. Wherever it's broadcast, doesn't matter as much as the quality of it. And I think that that's something that the industry itself is evolving to. And when TV used to be here and, you know, digital used to be way down there now it's kind of reversing in, in some sort one thing i will say too is you know it's called the world wide web not the local yeah. web not the <laughs> national web it's worldwide and one example of that as these sirens come and emphasize this point <laughs> one example of that is when we went to china and i mentioned this with the clippers in 2013 i went to china with the team Clippers and the Miami Heat. It was the LeBron James, Dwayne, Wade, that Miami Heat. Uh, and they played two games, one in Beijing and one in Shanghai. And I would follow the team around with a camera. And you get to the hotel and just like in the US, you know, you get to the hotel and there's a crowd of people waiting to get Chris Paul's autograph, to get Karan Butler's autograph, to get Blake Griffin's autograph. But this one moment for me, very early on in my career, as I'm filming these guys going to give autographs, this crowd of people, this is the first time it happened to me, yelled my name, Madeline! And I'm just like, how do they know me? But I realized in China, if you're a Clippers fan, you don't have access to Fox Sports West, but you have access to Clippers.com. 
Uh, and that was where they were consuming a lot of their Clippers news. So I think that that's interesting too. It's, you know, you think when you create something for digital, you put it out there and you're done with it, but the world is just getting started with it. And whether it's down the street or in the next state or on the other side of the country or on the other side of the world, people are watching and people are consuming this. And it's really fascinating. Yeah, that's funny, you know, you mentioned that about how, you know, in China, they like saw you because that goes into our next question and what I was going to talk about. That's actually how I kind of knew you. Um, you know, I followed Giants and I saw you do the 50 yard line. So, you know, I mean, I always watch Giants games too, but that's really how I like found who Madeline Burke is, you know. So you spent a lot of time as both a host and a reporter. How have the differences in those roles helped prepare you to be more versatile in this industry? I think that's a great question. And I think um, one of the interesting things that I've learned over the years is in whatever role you're in to just be the most authentic version of yourself. Because, you know, oftentimes if you turn on the TV and you see somebody hosting the local news, um, if I see somebody doing a news anchor voice that I feel like isn't how they would have a conversation coming up at 11, you know, like, I don't think that that's how you would address your husband or your, your best friend or whatever. <laughs> You want to get brunch and I and I don't mean to like mock I'm not trying to be like belittled yeah. but I always think like you know what like whether I'm on the sideline whether I'm behind a desk whether I'm hosting a show whether I'm reporting whether I'm doing a fun segment of course you bring the appropriate tone if it's 50 yards you're being a little cheeky you're being a little goofy if it's a post-game show after losing by three touchdowns you be a little bit more reserved but yeah. at the end of the day I always come with the same energy that I would come if I was having a conversation with a good friend or with my mother or my father or you know my brother or just somebody that I care about because I think that that's that that conveys to the viewer too I mean I don't want to be talked at like it's when I'm watching something I like to, when people talk like oh yeah okay that's interesting and so the more conversational it is the more natural it is and the more authentic it is I think I felt just more comfortable in myself and I think that that helps translate to better content yeah I definitely think the whole um attitude that comes with broadcasting particularly in sports is really changing I think as consumers of you know sports content we can all pick up on that and there's obviously a lot of ways in which it's changing but that's definitely one that I've noticed as you know someone who would eventually want to be in that space and another one um, that's very much directly related to the brand if you will of our podcast and something that you touched on um you know, a while back when we were talking about um, the questions that you get asked when you're, um, when you tell people about your job and the industry as a whole, but football, I think maybe in particular is kind of historically perceived as more masculine or a sport that really attracts uh, males. And so what is it like for you to first, you know, step on that field or, um, you know, enter that broadcast room as a female who's you know, younger and, and um, you know, just as experienced and knowledgeable, absolutely, but could be perceived solely by your gender. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, you know, it's interesting because you mentioned that football is probably the most like that. And I could see that. And I think a lot of it is because, you know, if you look at basketball, if you cover the NBA, I'm 5'11", I think for a long time, <laughs> I played basketball. And unfortunately, I am not very coordinated, but just my height alone gave me credibility because like, oh, she must have been a baller too. And no, I wasn't. I just love the sport. Um, 
baseball, if I covered baseball, you know, I did play softball for a little bit. And so it's like, there's some sort of overlap there and, and being able to be somebody who was on the field playing the game. There's not a lot of women who have played professional football because there's not a lot of opportunities for that. I mean, there are a few leagues here and there, but again, as a woman, it's hard to say, yeah, I've been in the trenches with these 300 pound linemen and I know what that hit feels like and all that kind of stuff. It's different. However, what I will add to that too, is there are a lot of men, if you look around a press room, there are a lot of men who never played the game either. And, that, <laughs> mm -hmm. and so just because you have that Y chromosome does not make you any more athletic than me. And so I will say that I will put that out there. But you know, the other thing too, is I think people will say a lot, people will have their opinions of who you are and why you're there and what your motives are. And for me, it's just about, you know what, my commitment is to doing my job and to doing my job well and trusting that that's going to speak for itself. But also, unfortunately, uh, being aware of possibilities that people could talk and you're, you know, not just responsible for what you do, but also you have to be mindful of what is perceived of you. And I think, you know, being a woman um, in a locker room, I'll have conversations with men or what have you that are one-on-one -on -one or here and there, but you know, you have to be mindful of what it looks like or the way you're standing or the way you're presenting yourself or the way you're dressing or the way your makeup is done or what have you, because you don't want somebody saying, oh, look at her coming in here, looking like she's going to the club to go have this interview, flipping her hair or what have you, because people are gonna say that. And it's unfortunate that in this industry too, because I, you know, a lot of the reason that women don't excel more is because of other women. And I don't, it's just as plain as that, because we all know women, finding quality female friends that are here to support one another is a, is a good thing and is something that should be cherished. And I hope that more women as time goes on can continue to support and raise each other up instead of cut each other down with jealousy or envy or things like that. And it's, you know, it's a long process of that because I think men are starting to come around to like, okay, you, you know what you're talking about, but then women start getting insecure of, well, why is she getting this interview and I'm not and what have you. And, you know, as long as you carry yourself with class and do your job and do it well, nothing else matters. What's your favorite thing about working for the Giants and being one of the few sideline reporters to actually break in this male dominated industry? You know, it's great. Um, the Giants as an organization are such a family friendly organization. There's such, and there's so much tradition. It's like walking into a museum being there. I mean, you walk in the front of the building in the training center and you see the four Lombardis lining the wall and you see all this memorabilia. This team has been around since 1925 has won so many championships has had so much success throughout the years um you know has been in the Mara family forever and then the Tish family recently joining in as well has provided a really nice balance there um but it's just it's a really great group to be a part of there's a lot of loyalty there's a lot of support and it does feel like you're you're part of a family working with this team so um that I'm really grateful for and it's also just I love the opportunity to do something different every day you know, I'm not somebody who can go into an office every day and, and sit at a desk and do a task because I would get so distracted yep. and I, I just wouldn't do well. But every day is different. And, you know, you go into the office and one day, you know, and again, in a normal year, the COVID season, it was very different, but we still got creative with doing a lot of different things. But, you know, one day you're doing an interview with a player that's a little bit more fun. One day it's a little bit more football. One day you're hosting a post-game show. One day... You know, there's a lot of variety and it keeps 
you're kind of on your toes. And also too, just like following along with the team throughout a season and seeing the highs and lows and becoming invested in and learning all the storylines about these men who are out there on the field that are not just incredible players, but a lot of them are really incredible people as well. And just being able to have conversations with them and, and understand sides of them that maybe people don't know and, and be able to share those with people as well. Like, you know, you look at Dalvin Tomlinson, defensive lineman, a really big dude, uh, was a captain this year for the very first time. But it's also really interesting because he's really into math and he's really into like fidgeting with things. And he used to play soccer, which is fascinating considering how large he is and like the fact that but he loves soccer and there's you know there's so many different stories about these guys and sides to these guys that you'd think like oh wow I never would have guessed that about this person and it's really interesting being able to get an opportunity to have these conversations and and to watch these guys also step into their own success and grow into their own success as well yeah so in the pre-covid era can you talk a little bit about on a game day what it looks like for you between MSG and WFAN? Absolutely. So uh, game day, if it's a home game, get to MetLife a few hours before kickoff. Um, always kind of just walk out onto the field and just see what the vibe is. You know, it's more of just like an, it's my LA-ness. I'm just like, let me get the energy of like what's going on down here and just kind of see how it feels. Go say some hellos, go up to the press box, kind of chat with a few people up there. Um, and you know a lot of the a lot of the story of a game develops in the week leading up to it obviously in the nfl it's a week-long process of practicing who's healthy who's not who's excited to face their former team who's got beef with the defensive back on the other side of the ball all of that and then it all comes to a head on sunday and it, a lot of it is just kind of walking around being able to see people being able to have conversations with people before the game then when the game starts you're on the sideline walking up and down, watching the plays, watching the bench. And that's the most important thing too, is like standing around there and watching the conversations these guys are having and the way that they're interacting with one another. And if a guy drops a pass, watching what happens after when he comes to the sideline, does he sulk? Does he talk to his coach and say, hey, what did I miss there? What did I not see? Does he talk to his quarterback and say, hey man, my bad? You know, all of that, there are different uh, elements of it that you kind of learn a little bit more about how a player is operating, but also just kind of who he is. Um, and just also just providing the insight. This is a really unique perspective to watch a game from being right on the sideline alongside this team. You know, I remember one time when you know, Jabril Peppers had an interception and he ran back and like just being able to note like who was the first person he gave a hug to and what did he say? This is why you brought me here. It was what he said when he like, ran it back and that was you know his first season with the Giants and so it's really fun to watch the passion unfold and be able to translate that on the sideline broadcast and you know it's great too because during the regular season you've got Bob Papa and Carl Banks in the booth and hearing these guys on my headphones while I'm doing the game as well I love hearing their perspective because I'm watching it from my eyes but I'm I'm also hearing it from theirs as well from a different angle and from what they see and Bob Papa has been covering this team for as long as I've been alive. Carl Banks is a ridiculous, should be in the Hall of Fame linebacker. Famous 58, does not get enough credit for the wrecking that he did out there. Um, and so just working with guys like that and Howard Cross and even Paul Dottino, who is such a character, but there is not a single person on this planet who loves the Giants as much as Paul Dottino does. 
I will challenge you. I will swear that you will not <laughs> win that challenge because this man, and it's it's just the purest joy that this team brings him. And so it's really great being able to, to be a part of this whole broadcast with them. And then after, uh, after the game ends, we run in, we do the MSG broadcast. We go up right away as soon as possible. And it's just, you know, it's, it's a whirlwind. And then after the game, you know, it, it's, you've got the hour long show or, or this last year it was a half an hour, but uh, you get up and you get home and then you're just like wired, you know, for hours. <laughs> yeah. you know, the one o'clock kickoff, it's great because you get home, you watch Sunday night football, you're like, okay, cool. But if you're on Sunday night or Monday night and you get home at like 2 a.m. and you're like, cool, what are we doing now? Like, <laughs> It's, you know, but it's a lot and there's a lot of adrenaline and there's a lot. And as much as it's a very long day, it flies by like that. So. Although you've covered like plenty of games, do you have a specific game that stands out in your mind or a specific moment that you can pick out as maybe one of your favorite memories? You know, I'll say there's two. There's pretty much any time the team plays on prime time whether it's Monday night, Sunday night, Thursday night, the energy and the pageantry is just different. You know, you walk in and it, it you know, an NFL game, whether it's a one o'clock, four o'clock or an eight o'clock kickoff is, a, is an event. But when it's a prime time, it feels so much bigger. And it's just one of those things that'll give you chills just being out there. So that's one. Um, but to be more specific was Eli's last game. And when he walked off the field, and just the way the crowd received him, the way that he was able to end his career on such a high note, the way that he was able to play his entire career for the Giants, uh, bringing two Super Bowls, two Super Bowl MVPs, and to walk off and get that sort of a farewell was the most well-deserved moment for him. And just being able to be there and see that and just seeing, you know, even before the game, watching fans holding up all these signs and appreciation for this quarterback, they knew that this was it for him. Um, th that's just a moment I'll never forget. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry, I'm a Giants fan. That was really surprising. Yeah. I didn't think I was going <laughs> to. Honestly, I have goosebumps just like talking about it. And I'm like... <laughs> You know, yeah. Katie and I. <laughs> no, sorry. We're we're both Giants fans, but I was at that game and I cried. Yeah. I cried. I know it sounds lame, but Eli was my like hero growing up. Same. You know, he won me two Super Bowl or you know Super Bowls against Tom Brady. So, you know. um, yeah, we yeah. added his jersey in my room. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That that was that was just amazing to see, and that walk off, you know, that was so well deserved. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, that entire stadium, and no matter who you were in that in MetLife that day, it was just the most respect for that man, and it was great. Traditionally, like throughout a season, you get opportunities to travel around the country, but as you mentioned earlier on, um, after like developing uh, Clippers TV, you were able to go to the NBA games in China. So what were some of your favorite things that you experienced there? And what was the difference in culture like for you? Yeah, I mean, that one was fun. That was just a one week thing in a preseason that season. And, you know, traveling with the team during the regular season, which is such a unique experience as well, because you're on the team plane and then you land and you get on the bus and you go to the hotel and then you get on the bus and you go to the game, and then you get on the bus and you go to the plane. And it's just like you're constantly traveling in this little unit. Um, but going to China was the probably one of the most culture shock moments that I've had. And I think the thing that I 
the, that you can't not notice, especially around a basketball game in China, is the amount of just pure passion that that they have there for NBA. Like these are some very smart NBA fans, and this is the preseason, so it's not just the 15-man roster. This is the preseason roster when you got guys who are, you know, kind of who's that guy on the on there from summer league or what have you. And these guys know exactly who they are, where they went to school, or yelling out their names, or cheering for them, or asking for autographs. The the NBA fans in China are just almost incomparable, and that was a lot of fun to watch. And it was just, you know, such a rarity for them to have this NBA level of talent right at their front door. Um, so that was a blast, and you know, also too, just the amount of history that's there, and being able to go with the team, not just to the games, but also there were a lot of community events involved in that trip. And you know, we went to a school, we went to the Great Wall of China, and our bus actually broke down on the way to the Great Wall, and we had two buses. One was supposed to be for the players, and one was supposed to be for the staff. But for some reason, it got like intertwined, and there was like a handful of players on the staff bus probably because the player's bus was too crowded and ours had a lot more room. Well, the staff bus broke down on the way to the Great Wall. And they were like, okay, well, maybe we'll just have the team go through the whole thing without you guys. But then they realized, oh shoot, we've got players that we need on this bus too. So we had to like wait on the side of the road. They had people come, <laughs> they had to bring a whole new bus. We get to the Great Wall right as the sun is setting and like just with enough time to take the team picture that's needed and to get everyone real quickly, like to kind of see the place and, you know, cause there's some things that were required from the league at that point. But I remember just the scramble of like, okay, let's go, let's get up there. <laughs> um, but even in all the haste, it was really cool to see there's, you know, parts of the Great Wall where you can sign your name or, um, and just how long that that's been there. And like the amount of history in a place like that was really incredible. It's really interesting to hear from someone who was actually there because I'm a sports communication major. And I remember my freshman year, like intro to sports comm class, like we learn about the NBA China games and stuff. And I'm just thinking like, we don't hear about the bus breaking down in class. Like, yes, we have the picture of everyone at the Great Wall in the textbook, but like, we don't get the story about waiting on the side of the road. So like, right? yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> you don't hear about all these little like things that go wrong or wrenches in the plans, but you know, it's a really great thing that the league does every year now. And um, it's such a great thing to be able to bring the NBA, not just to China, but all around the world. I mean, they go to Mexico city, they go to London, they go, you know, all over the place. And it's, uh, it's, it's great to bring this game and especially at the highest level of talent you've got in this world um, all over the country or all over the, all over the world. <laughs> yeah, so one thing you kind of mentioned what you do, you know, did pre-COVID, which was, you know, almost a year ago. So in which ways did COVID change the way you work now? Like how has your job changed with the restrictions of the season compared to seasons past? Because like you mentioned how you went to China, I'm sure you don't get to travel at all or anything like that anymore. Yeah, yeah. And again, that was, that was 2013. So that was been a while. But you know, now that I'm doing the giant stuff, um, you know, the biggest difference, I think, is just those little interactions. Um, at the training facility, for example, you walk around, and you see the coaches in the hallway, or you see the players in the cafeteria, and you just get to chat and have a relationship with people that's not just, hey, I need to interview you right now. And I need something from you. And I need this. And like, get to say, oh, how's, you know, how's your dog? I saw you got a new dog or whatever, things like that. You know, just 
some sort of a relationship outside of just the transaction of I'm hosting a show or reporting on a segment and I need to interview you. So that is definitely missed. And then also too, it was very um, glaringly obvious this season because guys who had been on the team for years, who I had known anytime I would do uh, an interview with, it was just a lot, it was easy. And then guys I didn't know yet, I'd be like, oh, hey, oh yeah, you have no idea who I am or what my role is here. So let me explain that because, you know, whether it be a rookie or a guy who is acquired from another team or in free agency, like every team is built and structured differently when it comes to the in-house broadcast or what have you. So they don't know what I do and they don't know if they're doing an interview with somebody who works for the team and it's going to make them look good or somebody who works for, you know, the New York Post and wants to get dirt or things like that. And so that was also interesting and it just feels very uh, distant from guys. And, you know, there were a couple of guys that I didn't interview until, you know, week like 12 or 13. And it was like, oh my gosh, I haven't seen you all year and all that kind of stuff. So that, that was definitely a big difference. And also just, you know, having those uh, post-game interviews in the locker room that we would do um, or practice interviews in the locker room or just conversations and kind of touching base with players. That, that's just the biggest difference is the distance that you have. Um, but that being said, also, it, it was great that we were able to make it through an entire regular season and have a Super Bowl uh, coming up in a COVID era without a bubble. It's just tremendous respect to the, uh, the medical staffs for the teams, the players, the coaches, everyone having that accountability. Because anytime you'd walk in the building, you get this little thing that's like a domino size. And if you got too close to somebody, it would beep. And that beep like would haunt me in my sleep. It was so obnoxious sounding like it's just, no, you don't want to hear it. But it doesn't matter if you're really close to somebody in the same room or if somebody's on the other side of the wall, it'll still beep. So you're just like constantly running away from all the beeping and it's just like, make it stop. <laughs> it was a way to keep everyone socially distant and, and keep uh, containment if anyone did ever test positive. Yeah, I think if you would have like told me, you know, 18 weeks ago that we would have gone through the whole NFL season without, you know, it getting shut down, I would have been like, you're crazy. <laughs> but hopefully, you know, you kind of get there next year and can be in person. Um, so then to end on our last one, what is one piece of advice you would give to a woman trying to break into the sports industry? I would say um, know your stuff and you know do something that is authentic to you don't do it just because you think you should or well that person is really good at that and i want to be like that you know kind of get to know what your strength is and and do that and pursue that whether it is on air whether it is technical whether it is on radio whether it is in production if you're really great with ideas but don't really want to execute them if you want to be the boss be in production if you really want to just kind of be other it's it's also to something that i would just say is is just focus on doing the job well, and that will speak for itself. And if you do your job, if you do it well, if you do it consistently well, eventually it will pay off. Eventually people will notice in a positive way. And also to be patient. Like this is a very hard industry. There are a lot of people who are in this field and a lot of people who have been in this field for a very long time who maybe don't have a job right now. Some people who are just getting into this field and really ascending very quickly. And you never know, you know, you might have somebody who was in, you know, your class in college and then all of a sudden they're on a national network and you're not, and you might think, well, how come they got that and I didn't? Life is long, the process is long, do your job, do it well, and eventually you will get to where you're going. That was extremely well put. Um, 
So we like to end each episode with a little section that we call rapid fire, where we each ask you one question and you just answer with the first answer that comes to mind. Okay. But if you could have dinner with any athlete dead or alive, who would it be and why? Kobe Bryant. Absolutely. Unequivocally. Um, Because not only is he one of the greatest athletes in basketball, in sports, you know, the Mamba mentality has really transcended. Um, But also he's just a very smart man. You know, he speaks multiple languages. He's very worldly. He has, was able to um, create a career path for himself outside of sports and diversify who he was as a man um, and adapt and, and to, it just feel like he's got such an interesting story that, you know, I, I think just being able to have a long conversation with him would be incomparable. This next one, the events that you have been to would probably be a lot of people's answers, but if there was any sporting event that you can attend from any point in history, what would you choose and why? Gosh, I mean, I would just love to go to Wimbledon at some point, because I think that that is just such a beautiful venue and there's so much history there. Um, That would just be incredible. Or uh, to go to a Muhammad Ali boxing match because just the way that that man moved and was just like such a, I don't know, he's just such a specimen. And it, I'm not a big like fighting fan, but I, I can appreciate the art of, of the way that he carried himself. And um, so, yeah, one of those two, I would say. So what was your most embarrassing moment playing sports as a child? Oh gosh, <laughs> I was not good at sports. Uh, <laughs> I was just really not good at sports. So I think pretty much any moment. Um, however, <laughs> I will give you a good story. A really embarrassing moment covering sports was uh, in Denver. Clippers were playing the Nuggets and I'm on the court doing pregame stuff and the lights go down. They're doing the pregame intros and I walk off the court and Full disclosure, I was like wearing a new skirt. I felt like I looked cute. So I was just like, you know, doing my little walk. I was like, yeah, I feel good about myself. My heel gets stuck in a crack on the floor and I full on like chalk outline, full like just on the ground. And I'm just like, oh gosh. And so I lift my head up. And by the time I lift my head up, like the lights had just come back on after the whole thing. And my knees are throbbing and my elbows, like they have their own heartbeat. Like, you know, the feeling. So you're just like, I can't feel anything, but I know my knees have a heartbeat. So I'm just like slowly standing up. I'm just like, okay. Cause I'm, you know, I fall a lot. I'm just like, it is what it is. I start walking out of the tunnel and I hear miss. And I turn around and the security guard is running after me. And I'm like, I didn't do it. He's taking his coat off though and wraps around me. I ripped my skirt open when I fell. And because my knees were throbbing, I didn't even notice oh, that no. I walked off the court bare ass in front of like 17,000 people. And so then, and this is before the game. This is before the game. So I go back into the locker room and I'm, I'm like, this is on a back-to-back. So the, the Clippers were playing in, in Denver this night and then immediately flying to Phoenix to play the next day. And I go back into the locker room and I ask Pete, the equipment guy, I'm like, Pete, do you have any shorts, any sweatpants, something I can put on? And he goes like, no, it's all on the bus already because we're leaving like right after the game. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm panicking. I'm wearing a security man's coat. I'm running around. The game is starting. I have to be out there, but I don't know. 
Finally, I go back in the press room and I pull out my scarf. So I wrap my scarf around me like a sensor bar and then I just put the like split skirt over it. So like it's, the back is still split, but like you can't see anything because like my scarf is there. <laughs> I worked the entire game like that. And like the entire game. And like there's somewhere there's a photo of me in the scrum afterwards from behind with this just like awful like whatever concoction I was <laughs> no. and then the worst part though is like we get on the plane one of the ball boys gives me an extra pair of his sweatpants on the plane I was like thank you we fly to Phoenix I'm exhausted my knees are like black and blue and like bloody and disgusting I get in the elevator and in the elevator are two other players that I had known pretty well and they just start laughing and I look at them and I was like what and one of the guys goes, I wasn't going to say anything, but that shit was funny. <laughs> the whole team saw it. <laughs> like, no. So, that's my most embarrassing moment in sports. <laughs> oh, my God. You know what? I own it. I'm like, well, it, would happen. it happens. You fall, you live, and you learn. <laughs> yeah. And I applaud you, you know, for sticking it out and covering the game, because if that were me, I would have cried and just like, you know, gone. But that's amazing. I'm glad you got to cover the game. <laughs> so must go on. <laughs> yeah, exa exactly. Well, thank you so much, Madeline. We really, really appreciate it. And that's everything we have for today. Thank you so much for tuning into episode eight, and we hope you liked it. We'll be back every other Wednesday with a different guest. So be sure to subscribe to us on Spotify and iTunes and give us five star on iTunes. To stay even more in the loop on all of our episodes and guests, follow us on Instagram at everything but the ball and on Twitter at EBTB underscore pod. Thanks again for hanging out with us today and we'll see you in episode nine.